This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Hello and welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin. I'm your host for today and also the ministry lead here at Parenting for Faith. This is episode two of season five, our what if season. We are taking your questions uh, of your home life, your family situation, your children and your young people and asking what if dot dot dot. Um, And today we're going to be talking to Cavan Woods about what if my child or young person is on the autistic spectrum? How does that affect them getting to meet and know God and how can we support them? really interesting conversation. Um, He's got a lot of experience and written a book on this. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. I hope you've had a good time getting uh, children and young people back to school. I think I had a new record. I got my three children back to different schools and nurseries for a grand total of 17 minutes before I got a call saying one of them was ill and I had to come and pick them up. I don't know if you can beat that. If so, let us know. Um, but I, they're all well now and I hope that uh, yours are too and they are safely um, back at school if that's where they go or if you're enjoying homeschooling, if that's your experience. Um, but I wanted to invite you guys to our Lunch with Leaders. It's happening tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. So it's on Wednesday, the 18th of January. If you've missed that and you're listening to it afterwards, don't worry, it'll be available for you to catch up afterwards. Um, But I'm really looking forward to this lunch with leaders. We've got Rachel McClure from Biblical Counselling UK, and she's going to be sharing the family care report. It's some research that she really felt called to do and has invested a huge amount of time in uh, using her experience and her expertise looking at how we can better support adopted and fostered families. So please don't miss that. If you have, because the date's already gone, uh, please go and look that up. I think you'll find it really helpful and really interesting. But as I say, today we are talking to Cavan Woods about children and young people on the autistic spectrum. Let's hear from him now. I'm joined today by Cavan Wood. Cavan, welcome to the podcast. We would love to start off by hearing a bit about you, um, your background, and particularly your interest and experience in living well with autism. Um, okay, well, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm uh, just turned 60. So I'm what I call a recovering teacher, because I retired from teaching uh, in July 2022. Uh, and I'm the father of uh, two children, one who has autism, one who doesn't. Uh, and I've been married for 21 years or so. And I live in Linfield, which is a, a nice little village in, in Sussex. Fantastic. And uh, we wanted to ask you about that, really, because um, being the parent or carer of an autistic child or young person, um, obviously, there are some different joys and challenges to those of a neurotypical child. You've experienced both. Mm. Um, What tips and advice would you have for parents and carers of autistic children for helping them navigate that well? Right. I think the first thing you've got to realise is that it is a long journey and that um, If you have a diagnosis, and I would always recommend parents not to suffer in silence, but to seek a proper diagnosis, um, is that this is going to take a period of time to come to terms with. 
it's going to take a period of time to work out exactly uh, what needs your child has. Thinking about autism always talks about what's called the autistic spectrum. Uh, and that means that not every child who has autism looks or behaves in the same way. So many children are perfectly verbal. Um, they may be at the high end of intelligence. Some are going to be at the lower end of intelligence. Some are going to be nonverbal. So having a child with, with autism is, a, you know, there are lots of different types of this experience. Now, in my experience, I'm dealing with one who is uh, verbal, who has educational uh, needs, uh, but in many ways presents as a you know normal, and I put that in inverted commas, teenager. Yeah, thank you. So that's really helpful thinking about the importance of getting a diagnosis and getting support. And I love what you said there because it's, you know, for convenience, people get grouped together, don't they? But actually every child is unique. Every young person is unique. And, you know, even within that autistic spectrum, there's such variety and so many different um, strands of that. Mm. And so I'd love to just come back to what we so often say, which is parents and carers, you're the expert in your own child. And that comes for their physical needs, their emotional needs and their spiritual needs as well. Actually, you might not feel very confident in it, but you know them far better than anyone else. Um, and you're the best person to support them and help them with that. But that doesn't mean you have to do it on your own. And I really like what you highlighted there about don't suffer in silence and um, get a diagnosis, get support, get you know other people involved to help you. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that not everyone with an autistic child expected that to be part of their parenting experience. Some no. people may have had experience themselves or, you know, with other family members. Um, so it's a big thing to get your heads around. As a Christian parent, um, how does that affect how you understand autism and that journey? I, I, I think um, one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book that I did was I just couldn't find anything that was doing some of the things I wanted. So I wanted some sort of key advice, but I also wanted to do a bit of theology because uh, my background was, a, I was an RE teacher, I'm a theology degree. And when I look at a problem, I think, well, what's the theological understanding of this? And, and there wasn't at that point very much. You come back to a key scriptural principle that we are all made in the image of God, that we have a dignity because of our creation. And we also have a uniqueness. That image of God is, is different in me to it is in you. So there may be some skills, there may be some abilities, there may be some weaknesses that I have um, that you don't. And I need to know what, what are generally from the image of God within us and what are the consequences of, of sin and, and things that, that are not right. I don't, I don't think we take that seriously enough in church, um, that creation is as it is. And rather than see autism as disability, for some people, it's actually heightened abilities. It's, it's yeah. not so much something they lack, it's something they've got too much of. So take, for example, sensory overload. That, that feeling that it's it's too light or it's too noisy or there's too much emotional stuff going on around you. Now, all of us have that experience at some point. You know, we, we go to a party and the music is just too loud. 
Mm. Or, you know, we're just not in the mood to communicate with somebody. So what I think is really quite important to remember is that autism isn't something that's abnormal. It's something that's often quite heightened normal. So it's something that you might have similar experiences to, but it's then just multiplied many more times in, in the brain and in the understanding of, of the person with autism. So rather than see it as alien, different, it's actually that, that idea of the spectrum is good because it says there's a continuum. Now, it can also be problematic that because you could say, as some uh, quite rude adults have said to me in their life, oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not rude. I'm a bit autistic. Well, you can't be a bit autistic and neither yeah. is rudeness necessarily an indication that you're on the autistic spectrum. It might just be an indication that you're a rude person. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so um, directness may well be an indication that you are on the autistic spectrum, but directness often is is quite a good thing um, and stops us, you know, wallowing in deceit and, um, you know, being kind in a way that actually isn't really kind when we need to face up to things. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that example you've picked up on there because uh, that sounds like some people doing it not very well, mm. but attempting to communicate I think or experience things a little bit differently to you. Let me try and explain that so we can communicate better, Yeah, which is a really good thing. Uh, in your example, they weren't doing it brilliantly. But, um, you know, that is something that we can advocate for with our children and young people and, you know, explain to people around them and, and give them the language to say, um, like, I, you know, I love that terminology and that explanation of, I, I have heightened abilities in certain areas or I'm different to you in this sense, uh, but I'm the same as you in another sense. And mm. just to communicate in a way that helps other people to understand that and communicate and relate to them better. Well, one of the things that really challenged me when I was writing the book, so I wrote the book, sent my manuscript off to the publisher and the, the editor came back and said, you haven't written anything positive about autism. It's all kind of grim. Um, and I thought, well, that's not my experience of it. Um, mm. So I got challenged to go away and write a, a chapter about uh, the blessings uh, of autism, the positive stuff. So I wrote that chapter and then um, the book came out and I was in church and I, you know, a lady approached me and said, can I have a copy of your book? She came back to me a week later and said, well, I've actually got a son who's now into his 60s. Uh, who's on the autistic spectrum and that chapter where you talked about some of the positives has changed the way I think about my son and I thought well that's that's great and I thought I can't take complete complete you know responsibility of this because somebody else pushed me in that direction to think about it but I thought we spent a lot of time thinking about our negatives and, and there are some positives like memory you know, lots of people who are verbal with autism are blessed with a fantastic memory. Um, they may experience things in a way that is, you know, there's a common myth that people on the autistic spectrum are in some way emotionless. Some do have real struggles communicating their emotions. Others have the struggle they feel too much. Mm. Now, 
as a personal failing, I would love to feel too much about something, you know. So I'm quite envious of the fact that, you know, uh, some autistic children will get very upset about something. Uh, and I've, I've seen this where one child was didn't win in past the parcel. And the person who was sitting next, to, the child who was sitting next, who was autistic, started crying on behalf of the other child. Now, <laughs> now that is quite a challenge to me. And it reminds me of, you know, those words of Paul about we cry with those who are crying. Mm. Um, and some of this can be a real challenge. I think if you look at a lot of the Old Testament prophets, I mean, personally, I'm pretty convinced Jeremiah was on that spectrum. Interesting. You know, and some of the some of the way he behaves and the way he talks, I think God worked within Jeremiah's personality and was able to share some things with Israel. Now, I, in one sense, I can't do that because I'm looking at it as a 21st century uh, male who looks at what autism looks like now in our understanding. And I can't really apply it to a 7th or 8th century prophet. But I kind, it kind of rings true to me that here's somebody who, who does some quite extraordinary things to make his point that people don't always get. Um, and I just wonder whether God was, was working within you know, somebody who we would define as, as being autistic. I don't know. I can't prove that. Well, we certainly know that God uses all people and yeah. sometimes people who the rest of us uh, might not pick first or might struggle to understand. So, yep. yeah, yep. I, you know, I think I think that really could be true. And it brings us back to what you were saying initially about everyone being made in the image of God and us mm. reflecting different parts of his character. So, yep. yeah, I think I think that's really poignant, actually. And there's another biblical example that uh, I cite in the book, and I got this from Roan, uh, no, uh, Justin Welby. Justin mm. Welby talks about this in one of his writings. He says, if you look at the stories of uh, Martha, Mary and Lazarus, Lazarus never talks. True. Lazarus never talks in any of those stories, even including the resurrection of Lazarus. He doesn't say a thing. Mm, Martha, and you'd think um, he would have something to say about it, wouldn't you? And you, uh, you've got to ask a cultural question. Why are Martha and Mary still at home with Lazarus? Because the tradition would be they would probably have been married off. Are they actually Lazarus's carers? Do you know, I've never heard that before. That is really well, interesting. I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard it until I read mm. it in Welby's book, but I've gone mm. away and thought about it. And then I looked at scripture and Lazarus does not speak. Mm. You know, now why doesn't he speak? The logical thing would be after a resurrection story for him to say, you know, to say, and then Lazarus rejoiced. But Lazarus doesn't speak in John. Um, and that's really interesting. And Martha and Mary living with their possibly 30-year-old brother, that's culturally very, very unusual. Mm. Um, so perhaps he has some kind of disability. It may or may not be autism, but um, a lot of people in the autistic community have taken Lazarus uh, as one of their own. Whether or not they're right to do, who knows? But, um, yeah. Very interesting. Mm. I'd love to get your advice on what this looks like in practice right. so um at parenting for faith you know those of us who followed us for a while know we really believe that every single child and young person can meet and know god and that every child is unique so it's gonna look different for different mm -hmm. families for different children 
Um, and as parents and carers, we want to come alongside them and support them. But that is going to look different. Um, and so I just love your wisdom and advice, really, on what you would say to parents and carers supporting children and young people who are on the autistic spectrum. Because as we've said, they experience things in different ways and have some different challenges. Obviously, recognising there's a, there's a huge range within that. But yeah, I'd love yeah. your thoughts on that. I, I think it's important to realise about the different range. So take an issue like going to church. Mm. So within our church congregation, we now have, in our Sunday school, we have people who are designated special needs. And actually, in this particular case, it does mean children who are on the autistic spectrum. So yeah. we, we have a couple of young children who are there wearing, uh, you know, um, noise abaters, you know, sort of noise. Yeah, ear defenders. Ear defenders, that's what I meant. Yeah, they're wearing ear defenders. We have some people who are in their late teens, early 20s, who just find church intolerable in terms of the light, in terms of the noise. Um, but they meet online and they talk to each other online and mutually support each other. Now, it, it's all very well us as Christians saying, well, you know, you should come to the central Sunday meeting. And for the vast majority of us, that is what we should do. Mm. But, but there are some who are going to find that intolerable. Yeah. Um, and we need to go, OK, if you're meeting in ones and twos, uh, and I can think of two autistic uh, females in our congregation who are doing that and have one of whom has just gone to a major um, conference in Europe and talked about her experience as somebody with autism. So we need models that, so the Sunday school, is that best prepared for autistic children? What do we need to do? Who do we need to recruit to do that? Um, can everybody fit in our services? Do we also, when they get, you know, when they're a little bit older, when they're not our children, can they find a place within the church? Mm. Um, so some are going to, you know, older autistic people obviously often prefer quieter services, more traditional stuff. Now, I'm not expecting teenagers culturally to like 1662 Book of Common Prayer. They're not going to. Um, but are there ways of doing church that are quieter, that are less... Uh, less less noisy less full of bright light um there have got to be ways that we can find to do church that include people so that's one thing mm. Second, secondly when you're at home as a parent i think it's a case of learning to listen and this is quite tricky because the autistic person may want to tell you something more than once and yeah you know and they may well also want to talk to you about it via their obsessions so they might refer to their stories that are important to them now some that might be thomas the tank engine others it might be doctor who or lord of the rings and they might use these things um almost as in the way that christians sometimes use the bible to sort of i'm going to you know so this is a way of me getting a hold of my experience so i'm going to talk to you about lord of the rings mm. and you have to sort of work out well why are you talking to me about that now? And yeah, anxiety is the key one I think we need to work on. When are our young people being anxious um, mm. with autism? Now, this I mean, this is key to any young person anyway, anxiety. We live in a, a time when, unfortunately, you know, my former profession, we did a great deal to make children more anxious by worrying about exams, for example. Um, mm. But how do you deal with that? And, and 
basically what we're going to do there is is make sure that our child can come and talk to us when they feel anxious. We don't dismiss it. Even if that anxiety seems to us odd or very petty, if it's causing them anxiety, we need to be able to talk to them and to think ways through of dealing with that anxiety. Mm. And I think certainly in my experience, a lot of uh, parents of children with additional needs, a range of additional needs, are very good at being their child's advocates yeah. and um you know it's incredibly challenging at some points i'm sure as you say to listen particularly when it comes to a different context but actually um speaking from kind of a perspective from the church or from from fran- uh, friends and family supporting actually very often you as the parent and carer you've got all the information that you need to explain how to reduce the anxiety for your child or to try something different um, you know, and I'd really encourage you to to speak up and do that because uh, those of us around you would love to hear. And I love that you gave some examples there. You talked about some ways in which we could adapt church and adapt some things to make it work better, you know, reducing the sensory overload, those sort of things. Um, but you also talked about some alternative ways of looking at things. We can get very set in church or relationship with God has to look a certain way. Yeah. But actually, how might your child or young person uh, connect with God? What works for them? What doesn't work for them? Where might it link to their special interests? Um, and I've seen that work really well. Mm. So it's not a it's not a one or the other. It's a both and. You know, where can church and the people around them make it easier for them? Um, and where can we, as parents and as as children and young people look at it with a bit of a different view and a different lens and say yeah you know that thing we've always assumed has to look like that maybe it doesn't let's try a different way yeah yeah and that leads on to my next question really which is just um you know for those of us who don't have autism in our families but we've got people in our churches and our uh, communities friends families with autism how can we best support and help them and their families well there was an old um, slogan the Children's Society used to use about, I just need a good listening to, which is <laughs> in, in, inverted that, you know, you need a good talking to. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what you need to do. You need to listen um, as a church. So that may be listening just to somebody's story and, and drawing alongside them as they want to tell you the difficulties they face, perhaps of getting a diagnosis, which could be, for some people, it could be years in trying mm. to pursue a diagnosis. Then the emotional coming to terms with it. For some people, it's a little bit like a bereavement in that mm. you, you feel a lost potential for what your child may be. You're scared about the future. What might this child be like? You, you might think, well, as a parent, I know I can support this child. But what happens when I'm no longer around? How is this child going to function in society when he or she is an adult? So, so there's those fears that you need to help. And where you can, share experience. So one of the best things about uh, my local church was they set up a parents and carers group. So we meet not to sit and do theology, but to have a supper and to talk and to chat and to compare. And we're, we're not given a big session of the theology of autism that I could, mm. that I could now do at them. We're actually, <laughs> we're actually encouraged just to talk and share. What is our experience? Now, when I, when, you know, our child was growing up talking to the parents of a teenager with autism 
in one sense seems irrelevant, but in another sense it doesn't because it then says, oh, actually, this could be where the journey goes. Mm. You know, and similarly, I find myself talking to a person recently who's just at the start of the diagnosis journey. So I can say, well, actually, yeah, you might find this difficult, but actually this might actually help. Um, so talking to people who've got that experience is really important. If you're not a person with that experience, listening is key. Not suggesting answers, not suggesting pathways, listening, drawing alongside, praying with that person, accepting that they, they may be quite hurt and quite battered by what's going on and very and quite often very confused mm. um, and just trying to be a steady, steadying influence you know in prayer in support just practical things that's brilliant and I think it's such a good example of letting the parent and carer be the be the expert in, the, in their own child and be the one who you know primarily disciples them but church being just crucial as supportive community around each other and I use church in the broadest possible sense that could be one friend it could be it doesn't have to be under a church label um, but just providing support for each other by by listening well. That's so helpful. Thank you. And, and I've had a good model myself. In the church I go to, there is somebody in our congregation who is clearly on that spectrum, who's been in the church for 40 years. So I've seen him move from teenager to man in his early 50s. And the fact I've known that he's been loved and included and is valued in our congregation meant that when I realised it was going to come a bit closer to home meant I thought mm. I, don't, I don't need to worry. I know that this is a congregation where, uh, you know, I'm going to get the help and support and that they will understand this because we've, we've loved this guy as part of our fellowship for over 40 years. That is just wonderful. And I hope and pray that that will be people's experience across mm. the country and across the world. Kevin, this has been so helpful. Um, for those who'd like to take it a little bit further, can you tell us a bit more about your book, Entertaining Angels, and what it covers and how people can get hold of it? Okay. Um, well, you can get it from the normal online retailers, as they say. Um, yeah. you, you could also go to Authentic Media's website and order it via there. Um, so it, it began as a journey, really, that I couldn't find everything I wanted as a parent. So I found books that would give me some practical advice, books that would give me some theories about what autism was, but nothing that was giving me any theology, nothing that was really challenging the church um, as to what it could do. So I thought, if you can't find it, you better write it. So I then, I then began to research it and uh, pull it together. And over five years or so, um, it got written. Um, and then just at the end of lockdown, it was ready to go. And I'm really glad it's come out when it has um, because after lockdown, people were much more willing to uh, talk to you about books and get involved. So, and what's been really great for me is I initially wrote it for me as a parent, thinking I think there are lots of Christian parents in particular who need help and guidance on this. But I've also discovered there are lots of Christian grandparents out there who are hearing this language from their children about their grandchildren and have not a clue as to what's going on because they've not been raised in a culture where it was discussed mm. um, and it, it wasn't a thing as it were. And uh, they've been coming back to me and saying, Oh yeah, I, I, this is great. Thank you for helping me with this. Cause I now understand things. So 
that's what it that's what it's designed to do and to give you a feeling of what it's like to be a parent struggling with some of these issues and to get you to think about well as a christian what can we do and i thought i just want to go back to your word about advocacy i think mm. it is part of the ongoing argument um in society about making sure that people who are on the autistic spectrum are treated with dignity are treated with respect um you know, we, we're in situations now where autistic children are being excluded from school because schools don't fully understand their needs, where churches sometimes are telling parents, you know, don't take this child in because he or she's being disruptive. Now, that's at its worst. So we as the church need to model what the kingdom is as its best in, in including people in God's love. Um, and they're in God's image and, you know, Christ sacrificed himself for them as much as anybody else so it's really important that we work on this so yeah absolutely well thank you so much for your time today thank you for thank you. the many hours that i'm sure it took you to research that and write it um it sounds like a real gift to the church and we'll put a link in the show notes so people can get their own copy thanks thank again you. thank you very much And as usual, we like to end with a question to ask your kid to spark an interesting conversation. This week's question is this. Are there any other characters in the Bible that you think could have been on the autistic spectrum? Now, Kevin mentioned a few in our interview that uh, he's noticed might have additional needs. But are there any other characters in the Bible that you think could have been on the autistic spectrum? Have a great conversation. We'll be back next week. Bye. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.